Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Well, it's good to be back. Pastor Emma and I went on holidays last weekend. I was telling the team we didn't think about church at all. Just kidding. We thought about you guys. Oh. For you guys tuning in online, it's good to be back with you all as well. What an interesting season we found ourselves in. It's sort of like it just, it's the gift that keeps on giving this season. Um, but we're excited. We're starting a new series called My House is Your House. And I know for some people you're like, uh-uh, no way. This is my thing. It's my house. I'm not hospitable. I'll be honest with you. That's my natural default. So I'm not judging you. I'm just saying this. We've got to move past that. Um, but for those of you who are joining us for the first time, maybe online or here in person, we just finished a series called Can I Get a Witness? And it was a great series where we had four people share their testimonies about how they encountered the love of God through somebody bearing witness to the resurrected king in their life. Um, and we had Daniel last week um, who did a fabulous job in sharing um, and if you haven't seen that, you can jump onto our YouTube channel and watch that and uh, laugh along as well as be impacted by what God is doing in and through his life. But today we start My House is Your House because we've done this resurrection series. We've done this Can I Get a Witness series. And now we're going to talk about the whole understanding of Christian hospitality. Yep. Yeah. Who woke up this morning and was like, I'm pumped. I'm going to go to church and Pastor Ben's going to preach about Christian hospitality. You're like, what's Pastor Ben going to teach me that Pinterest can't? That's all what you're thinking, right? I'm good at partially at charcuterie boards. Not because I designed them well. I just can fit the most amount of food on a single board. And I think quantity is better than visual quality, right? Because that's all it is. Like half the stuff you see on the plate that you can't even eat it. You don't know what it is. It's just like fake. <laughs> it's not nonsense, it's true. I just stick to the hummus, I stick to the cheese and the meat. Who wants to dip raw broccoli in hummus? <laughs> I'm kidding. It's actually very good for you, raw broccoli. Hey, but I'm excited because there is a specific key to Christian hospitality, and I know you might not have known this, but throughout the Gospels and the New Testament, the, 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 the word actually speaks to Christian hospitality. And we're going to discuss a few different things tonight about how that looks like um, and how we can, as believers, actually activate that gift and skill in our life. But we're also going to dive into certain stories, and you might not have known this, and I hope it does sort of shed some light for you this morning, or this morning, this evening, about what actually took place in many stories and why the Bible records it in particular ways. And believe it or not, it ties into Christian hospitality, and I get excited about that. But if you're like me and you're not good at charcuterie boards, it's okay. Take heart. We're not talking about that today. It's not about the perfect table setting. I don't know if the knife goes left or right. What is it? That's right. Fork and knife got in a fight. Knife was right, and so the fork left. Someone told me something like that. <laughs> All the kids are going to watch this, and then the whole generation is going to set up the table wrong now. But anyway, so who taught you this? Pastor Ben did. Actually, what we're talking about here is servanthood. 
This is what makes Christian hospitality a powerful act of servanthood, and that is we don't do it for ourselves. In many ways, we don't do it directly for the other person either. First and foremost, we do it for God. And see, our act and our love and our hospitality towards one another, but also to people who might not call church home, is actually our gift and offering a blessing towards God. And we, we need to have this in the forefront of our minds. So every time we have to interact with something, we start to realize when the scripture says, when you do it unto them, you do it unto him. This is not just a nice saying. This is a way of living. Christians are notorious for being really good at saying how to live, but doing their own thing. I love our church because I just sort of tell you how it is. You know, if you need a Chef Ben mask... If you, need, if you need to wear the mask and go, you know what, if I don't wear this, I'm not going to be reminded by Pastor Ben, who's blunt and sometimes robust in his comments towards me about how I should live my life, then I'm happily, I'll invest in getting you one of those masks so you can be reminded. But if you call Avant Life Church home, then you would understand, I don't mince my words when it comes to this. Hey, Christians got to stop pretending to be, you know, playing church. We've got to stop thinking that the way we live is okay if it's counter to what we're saying the gospel says we should be doing. Yeah. Uh, hopefully uh, tonight, if that is you and don't be judged about it, be inspired. You are not living a wrong life. Don't get me, don't get me misunderstood. You're just living a disempowered one because you're living a life that is all fluff and bubble and no substance. And that's a shame for you because you've got to live with the guilt of holding yourself to a standard that you think you can reach in your own strength when you actually release it to grace and begin to live what's written in the red letters in the Gospels, all of a sudden you feel this empowerment to be hospitable to yourself, to others, to the community. You begin to open up. Your house becomes other people's homes. That's what the whole concept of the church is. It's his house. We call it home. The best part is everyone's invited. See, everyone's on the invitation list to the party in heaven. It's just if you accept the invitation or not. You know, the whole understanding of, oh, you know, Jesus, he'll leave the 99 for the one. He's not being, like, neglectful of the 99. The 99 have invited, they've accepted the invitation. They're cared for. They're in the, they're in the, they're in the flock. Everything's good. He's leaving the, the 99 for the one that hasn't quite understood the invitation. And this is what is so confronting to me, is that a lot of Christians actually think they're in the 99, but they actually haven't accepted the right invitation. They're at the wrong party. They're at the wrong address. And they, they've tricked themselves to think this is the right place. But it's all wrong. It's all mixed up. And so we're going to talk about that today. So there is this conversation when it comes around Christian hospitality. Is it a spiritual gift or is it a scriptural mandate? Before I read a whole bunch of stuff and like educate you, I'm going to tell you it's both. There's no punchline here. There's no like secret riddle. It's both. Some people are born and, in, in, and given by God a spiritual gift of hospitality. It means it looks like it comes to them just by simple nature. Have you ever been around those people? Maybe it's you. Well, you're just hospitable. You're welcoming. You go above and beyond to make sure people that are in your home or in church feel like they are welcomed, that they belong, that they're loved upon. And this doesn't empty your tank. This fills your tank. 
I love those people. Don't you love those people, Paul? Yeah, come on. I love those people. I love that the church has people that are hospitable. But we can fall into the trap to believe it's their job and not ours. Just because it comes naturally to them doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility to join them in that gift. Do you know, when I was in high school, which wasn't that long ago now, ever do the math after you've left high school for a while and you're like, man, I've been out of school longer than I was in it. And then you sit there quietly. And you're like, have I achieved all I've wanted to achieve? (laughs) But I was that student in high school that would, I'd pay attention. So I'm not like not paying attention. I'd pay attention, but it didn't look like I was really attentive. I was talking with my friends, always got on the report. Ben speaks too much to his friends. Um, I was that guy that didn't really study until the night before, right? Or do the assignment until the night before. And I scored really well. And I remember in grade 10, I kid you not, I was like the first kid in my high school to score 100% across my mathematics year. How weird is that? Because I'm not a mathematician. And I remember getting my report card and it was excellent and it was A's, it was 100% and I'm pumped. But the teacher's comment was profound. She wrote this, Ben coasted through this year. And if he doesn't begin to become intentional with his work, he will fail. I got 100%. Couldn't just give me like a high five or something. Like Ben did good. You know what? Ben did real well. But she wasn't looking at the the initial product. She was seeing the method behind it. And it's the same sense here. Like I actually dropped mass in year 11. Interesting, hey? all of you are like, oh, Pastor Ben didn't do math, that's fine. (laughs) It's that, that concept of something that's been given to you by nature versus those who work hard at it. And I look at it now and go, I had the natural gifting for mathematics, but I didn't work hard at it. And some people, you need to, you need to realize this, it's not just your natural gifting. And so we look at those people and go, oh, they've got it. I don't need to work hard at it. It's not, it's not my thing. You know, a lot of people that are successful at something aren't necessarily naturally gifted at it. They've been disciplined. We talk, I talk about this regularly. There's a sign in my office and it just haunts me. It says, your dreams won't work unless you do. And I sort of like, someone picked that up at a dollar shop. But that one dollar is just echoing through my mind every time I sit in my office. It's just like, because it's so true. It's so real. And so when we look at this, yes, not everyone feels comfortable at the helm of a social event. Some folks have the natural talent for making people feel special. And then there's other people that have the talent of making people feel special. Do you you know what I mean? Like, Like you were just rude. You don't know you're being rude. That's the problem. It's just not naturally like, like if you want advice, next time we go to like we have a church after COVID, we have like a church event, just watch me and then watch Pastor Emma and you'll see those who are talented 
naturally are making people feel special, and then there's those others that just make people feel special. <laughs> I have to remind myself, Emma thrives on it. I have to remind myself, she actually, when I say I have to remind myself, the Holy Spirit has to remind myself, and the Holy Spirit sounds like Emma in the car saying, remember, this is a social event. <laughs> Requires you to engage. Everyone's like, but you're a pastor. I thought this comes naturally. It doesn't come naturally to me. And I tell you this because it is both spiritual gift and scriptural mandate. The Bible tells us that every believer is given a different spiritual gift for different purposes, for edifying and building up the house of God and serving the body of Christ. So at the end of the day, we're going to acknowledge that some people are spiritually gifted in hospitality. But scripture actually goes on to say, and we read this in Romans 12, Paul says this in verse 9 to 13. I love the title. It says, Marks of a True Christian. Let love be genuine. Hate whatever is evil. Hold fast to whatever is good. Love one another with brotherly and sisterly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And this is the interesting part. And seek to show hospitality. Doesn't say be hospitable. It says seek to show hospitality. See, if I was hospitable... That's if you rock up onto my door and I'm like, okay, come in, I'll give you a drink. That's me being hospitable. But to seek hospitality is me going out, seeing you working hard and going, hey, can I get you a drink? Do you want to come to my house? To seek hospitality. See, if we look at the Greek here, and I know everyone's like, oh, Greek, awesome. If we look at the Greek word that Paul actually uses for hospitality, it's phyloxenia. It's a combination of two words. Phylos, meaning affection. And xenos, meaning stranger. So if you put the words together, when we use this word hospitality to seek and show hospitality, it's to show affection to a stranger. Now, I'm not saying that we should go and violate stranger danger. I get that. But what Paul is actually saying here is you must and you need to, as a believer, your scriptural mandate is to live a life beyond your comfort zone. See, it's easy to be hospitable to the ones you love, the ones you hold dear in your life, the ones that you do life with day in, day out. Of course you want to. But what he's saying here that the marks of a true Christian is to go beyond the borders of our comfort zone and begin to show affection to those that don't know the love of Jesus in our hospitality. My house is your house. Well, Pastor, I don't want to just you know, offer a stranger to come to my home. Well, that's fine. We're not just talking about a physical house. We're saying my life, the life I live for Jesus I live for you. See, often we're like, I, we, we live our life for Christ. But he says, what you do unto me, or what you do unto others, you do unto me. And so, 
At the end of the day, if you haven't got to that part of the equation when you realize that when you live for Christ, you live for others, tonight's your night. You're welcome. I brought it to you. I'm here till Thursday. Gave you that revelation for free. Take it to the bank. But what I want you to do is actually apply it to your life. You're not called. And I love what Stephen Furtick says. He says, your calling is not found in your comfort zone. Your true gift or your scriptural mandate of hospitality is not showing your wife love or your husband love by making them a coffee. That's just a part of the deal when you said yes. St. Benedict, or Benedict, sorry, who was a religious reformer back in Italy in the late 400s to early 500s, says this, he says, hospitality maintains a prominence in the living Christian faith. And I love how he, he describes this in an illustration. He says, the guest represents Christ and has a claim on the welcome and care of the community. Oh, man. Oh, that word claim, he has a claim. They have a claim. As soon as you say yes to Jesus, the people who don't know him have a claim to the hospitality of Christ in your life, if you like it or not. So you better get to liking it. We can talk about evangelizing to the cows come home. Well, I know all the doctrinal stances and the theological answers to every apologetics question that can be thrown at me. But you can't offer someone a drink. You're useless. That's exactly what's happening here. Because there's a partnership. Your knowledge, your belief in Christ has to be partnered with an outworking of hospitality. Welcoming someone in to your life. I think Christians are more afraid of the world than the world is afraid of Christians. We, we, we build this big narrative that they're hostile, that they're going to ask us all these questions. But deep down inside, we know. We know we just subscribe to that narrative because if I was to offer someone inside look to my life, maybe it wouldn't match up to everything I've been preaching to them. Maybe it doesn't look like what I said it should look like. Maybe behind the curtain there is an old man pulling some levers and there's no great wizard of Oz. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, when we begin to live a life of hospitality, my house is your house, your house begins to get cleaned up a bit. You don't get to have a messy home anymore. You don't get to have a home that has all this useless junk in it. You have to live a life where you're proud to bring someone home. Am I wrong? I hate it when I come home and the kids have taken out every bit of Amazon box and made my yard look like a dump. But Emma has no issue with it for the time being because she's like, you went home with them all day. You don't know what they can get up to. Levi is building traps. (laughs) He showed me this YouTube clip. The two of my interns were there, so they were they already seen it with him, so we'll have a conversation later. But he's like, Dad, this is a homemade rat trap. And I'm like, oh, cool, it's just going to look like your normal rat trap. No, this is not a normal rat trap. It is a plastic bucket that then has had a chicken wire cage cut into it and placed there. And then it has a metal perforated dish at the bottom that is attached to a battery. (laughs) 
You watch this rat walk around the top. It has no idea that in moments, what was once happy is now sad. <laughs> you ever watch the video like, no, no way, no way. No, oh, yes, way, it happened. This rat falls in and it's just... Don't you hate it when you bring people home and your house is messy? Don't you hate it when you, oh, yeah, I'll give you a lift and then you hop in your car and you, like, get everything on the front seat and you... <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Like there's like an A&W car, a cup that's been in the, the holder so long, the root beer's eaten through the, the cardboard. And like, you've, you've got an excuse, you've got this. This is what we're talking about. Hospitality will and always will maintain a prominent part of Christian faith. Remember this, that the guests represent Christ and has a claim on the welcome and care of the community. So in other words, this is what I'm saying. This is what St. Benedict was saying. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected within us. And it is showered on those with whom we come in contact with. 1 Peter chapter 4, 8-10 says this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Don't you love that one? We've used that one a few times, hey? Cheekily out of context, just to get our way. Look, Mum, I didn't know that you needed all that food in the fridge for dinner tonight. Sorry that I had all my friends over, my house, their house, you know the thing. We ate it all. But, Mum, you love me, right? And love just covers a multitude of sins. I've heard this thing quoted out of context so many times. But this is interesting because that's verse 8. Verse 9, Peter follows it up with this. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Interesting how love covers a multitude of sins and hospitality is the next thing. We should do it without grumbling. If we shouldn't do it without grumbling, then I don't think God wants us to be in this neutral space of, okay, I won't grumble, but I'm not pumped either. I'm not excited either. If he says don't grumble, then there's a heart transformation that needs to take place. You should be, you should be asking God, God, make me excited about these things. Make me hopeful that when someone encounters me and I offer them the hospitality of Christ in my life, that they experience you. See, more often than not, and you know, we joke a little bit, and I'm, I know we go hard at this, but more often than not, and I've said this before, it's because you're driving in a messy car that you don't invite someone in versus cleaning up the car so you can invite someone in. And so somebody out there is not encountering Jesus because you haven't got your life together in a way that is very simple. See, well, I'm not saying you need to know what's happening for the next 10 years. I'm not saying that you have to have dealt and had a perfect package to show everyone. All I'm saying is that it's normal to have a clean front seat in your vehicle. It's normal to have pride in that. It's normal to have a clean home and have pride in that. These aren't unachievable things, but often in our walk in faith, 
It is these little things that stop us from reaching out and begin to invite people in. Discipline goes hand in hand with hospitality. Discipline goes hand in hand with obedience. Actually, discipline is the partner of all characteristics in Christ. To be discipled in the way of the Lord. To be disciplined in love. Disciplined in the application of grace in my life and the the grace that God asked me to extend through that love he gives me to others. We're going to read this story and this is the story we're going to focus on tonight and we're going to focus on next week. And you might not have read this story and had a look at it through the lens of hospitality But I love it because I I look at the story we're about to read and I go, you know what? This is who God wants us all to be. This is the picture of how our life should look like day in, day out. Now, when we read this story, I know for a fact what you're going to focus in on and we're not going to focus in on that. You ready? Now you're all trying to think of what to focus in on, right? (laughs) The trick. Mark 2. You've got your Bibles, turn to me, turn with me to that. Mark 2. We're going to go from verse 1, reading all the way to verse 12. It says this After some days, Jesus went back to the city of Capernaum. Then the news got around that he was home. Soon many people gathered there, and there was no room in the house, not even at the door. He spoke the word of God to them. Four men came to Jesus carrying a man who could not move his body. These men could not get near Jesus because so many people were in the house. They made a hole in the roof of the house over where Jesus stood. Then they let the bed with the sick man on it down. Verse 5 says this, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Some teachers of the law were sitting there. They thought to themselves, Why does this man talk like this? He's speaking as if he is God. Who can forgive sins? Only one can forgive sins, and that is God. Verse 8, at once Jesus knew the teachers of the law were thinking this, and he said to them, why do you think this in your heart? Which is easier to say to the sick man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your, mat, take your bed, and start to walk? I'm doing this so you may know the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. Come on. He said to the sick man, he could not move his body. Verse 11, I say to you, get up, take your bed, and go home. At once, the sick man got up, took his bed and went home and everybody saw him. They were all surprised and wondered about it. They thanked God saying, we have never seen anything like this. This evening, we're going to focus on the first two verses. Do the Bible regularly says that Jesus has or had compassion? You'd be reading through the Gospels and it'd be like Matthew 20, verse 9. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Or Mark 6, 34, casually reading it the last weekend. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And guess what? Surprise, Jesus had compassion on them. Because they were all like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. Or maybe you went back to Matthew and you read in verse nine, chapter 9, verse 35 to 36. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing everyone with disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
You could, there's countless times that Jesus had compassion. Do you know, in Mark 1, and this takes place just before what we read, Mark 1 verse 45, the Word of God says this, But the man went out and talked about everything. After this, Jesus could not go to any town if people knew he was there. He had to stay in the desert. People came to him from everywhere. This is in relation to Jesus healing a man with a bad skin disease. He heals this guy and he says, don't tell heaps of people about this, eh? Just between you and me. We're good? Yeah, we're good. Just between you and me. Cool. And this guy, you ever been at that moment where they go, I won't tell anybody. Walk slowly. Close the door. Hey, guess what, everyone? This dude, he healed me. I used to have like skin problems and now I don't. He literally just told you not to say anything. And because of this, the Bible says that Jesus couldn't go anywhere because wherever he went, they would come. Mark 1 verse 45 begins us to see, allow us to see that Jesus is actually tired. He goes out into the desert. He says, oh man, just need a break, a little bit of a break. He then returns, and this is why it says in verse 1, after some days he went back to the city of Capernaum. You know, Capernaum was Jesus' hometown. Now, I'm not saying he's a town where he was born. We all know that's and his town that he grew up in. Thank you. I wonder if that gets picked up. Everyone at home, like on, <laughs> online, is like, Bethlehem. <laughs> yeah, I want to lock that in. Lock it in. Do you need a phone, friend? <laughs> that's right, I'll lock that one in. For $500, Nazareth. But once he started his ministry, Jesus actually calls Capernaum home. Now, he doesn't literally call it home, but that's his center of ministry. That's where he goes back. That's his base. Jesus goes home to get some rest. He's just spent a whole bunch of time out of the desert. People still followed him to the desert. He goes home, and I love that, that concept that people still come. And Jesus does what he does best and he shows compassion. Where he's tired, he still lets people into his home. Where he's weary, he still begins to speak and teach to them. See, compassion empowers Jesus' response to the people, not from his own comfortability. He didn't respond out of, am I intra, extra or omnivert? He didn't sit a personality test to allow people into his home. He didn't look at his own benefit. The Bible says, and we can read it again, soon many people gathered there and there was no more room, not even at the door. He comes home and people want him. Do you know what I love about this? Is that Jesus doesn't perceive this as a bad thing. He doesn't complain about it. He doesn't tell everyone how hard his day's been. <laughs> I'm work, I've been working so hard. But yeah, for sure, come in. I'm sacrificing for you right now. He, he doesn't do that. You all been there, right? So everyone's quiet now. That's all right, I've been there. Tell everyone like what you've done the whole day. But yeah, cool, come over, I'll feed you. Because you want them to know, you want them to see what it's costing you 
what a good person you are. Jesus doesn't say that. I love what happens here. We just see Jesus let them in. This heart of compassion compels him to love them, to be hospitable to them. My house is your house. Come on in. Fill the space. Do you know why he shows them compassion? We read it several times. Because they were sheep without a shepherd. People that were hopeless looking for hope. Those that were lost trying to find a way. They were blind and he could offer them sight. Isn't it amazing what he did? But then to stop right now and pause and to look in your own life and to realize, hey, you know the shepherd. Why wouldn't you welcome people in? You see your friends day in, day out struggling with feeling lost in this world. Yet you found the way. It was given to you freely, a gift. You see your friends blindly make decisions in a desperate attempt to find something they can anchor their hopes to in this world that is decaying and totally toxic towards a godly life. And in your vision given to you through Christ, we turn our heads. It's serious, hey? I say it because each and every one of us, me included, when I wake up and when we say we follow Jesus and we pick up our cross, we have decided that I will show people to the shepherd. I will believe that I have the way and so I can show those that are lost which way to go. I have vision not through my own strength, but through the redemption of Christ. I will speak of that vision to those who are so desperately trying to see purpose and meaning in this life. My house, my life is your life. My hope is your hope. My faith can be your faith. My king can be your king. Doesn't that stir you? Doesn't that get you going? You know what? I can do more. I can run harder. I can become more hospitable. No longer is hospitality something that we align to those who are good in the kitchen. Hospitality is far greater than that. Hospitality is opening up your life and saying, I want you here. I want you in here. And I love what we see here in verse 2 at the end. He doesn't say to them, hey, come in here. Come into my house. Come cram my house. Jesus didn't talk to them about politics. He doesn't talk to them completely focused on sport. He doesn't speak to them about what the neighbours have been doing wrong. The Bible says that after they've crammed the house and that not even the door had space, he spoke the word of God to them. That's what he did. So Christian hospitality is twofold. It is stepping outside your comfort zone. It's allowing yourself to show affections to a stranger so that they could lay claim to the hospitality of Christ in your life. And in doing that, we don't take the opportunity to shoot the breeze about politics. Don't get me wrong. I get that the US election's important. I get that it's interesting that Trudeau shut down parliament. But all of that is peripheral to the kingdom of God. It relies and, and it, it stands or it's held on the shoulders of Christ. Can I tell you this evening... Jesus didn't talk politics. He didn't focus on sports. He didn't badmouth his neighbors. He spoke the word of God. 
people are attracted to people who know, live and breathe the Word of God. I don't care what anyone's ever told you. They are not hostile towards it in the way you think they are. They're hostile towards the hypocrisy that Christians can often have. But if you live a life of integrity, if you live a life of transparency, if you're hospitable, if you're loving, if you speak the Word of God into there, they will cram your house. They'll say, I want to be in your house. I want to hear what you've got to say about Jesus. I want to experience the Father's love. I want to have a miracle in my life. Do you know, often on the playground, I remember my sister, she was a phenomenal prayer. She would get every Christian in school to form a prayer circle in like a 1,500 student uh, high school and you'd pray and she'd always pick the part where the sports teams wanted to run past and people get teased and stuff. But what I found really interesting as an observation is the amount of people that would come back and ask questions. It's all fun to joke about it, but at the end of the day, when life is hard, life is tough, when you've got questions the world can't answer, why were those people so steadfast in their prayer and their love for Christ? Why did they make it known so publicly? What stirred them? What anchored them? Why does my life seem like it's on shifting sands, but theirs is on a solid rock? Why when the storms come and hit me, I'm a crumbling mess, but they are steadfast? What is the difference? People are not afraid of the gospel. They're attracted to it. They're drawn to it. My house is your house. I want to be a church that lives passionately, inviting people in. And when they come in, they're drawn in and we speak about the goodness of God. But it starts with us. It starts in your life groups. It starts when we take each other out for coffee. It starts when we're on the bus traveling with a friend. Talk about the goodness of God. What is he doing in your life? What is he providing? What is he saying? How is he empowering? Get excited. Make it your main focus priority. When you watch the disciples disperse from Jerusalem, when you read about it in history, they do not disperse and talk about frivolous things. They disperse and talk about the living king. They say that he's alive that he is well and truly on the march again. I am sick of everyone going, oh, Christian, you know, Canada's a post-Christian nation. We've just got to survive. No. Whatever Canada is, doesn't matter to the average believer right now, the normal believer. Because if it was super in love with Jesus or if it wasn't super in love with Jesus, there would still be the one that hasn't heard the invite, that hasn't got the invite. And so we'd still live with the Christian hospitality that we should live. God in your life, and you need to begin to really, you know, go, this is true. Jesus in your life is attractive. The word of God is attractive. Most people are not shut off to it. Most people aren't hostile to it. Most people are actually open to know why you have a faith founded in Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Hey, who here wants to live a life that my house is your house? Who, that, you want to be that person, right? My house is your house. My hope can be your hope. My faith can be your faith. My king can be your king. That's what we mean as Christians when we say Christian hospitality. Every time you encounter somebody, if they don't know Jesus, 
then your hospitality, your beyond the comfort zone, your affection to the stranger is you saying, hey, buddy, hey, friend, you might not know this, but you have a claim to make. And I'm here to help you make that claim. How powerful is that? Let me shower you with the love of Christ. Let me serve you like the King serves us. Let's give you some perspective of what life really is in freedom. You know, it's ironic because as a church, we run a coffee shop. And you might think, well, it's nice, run a coffee shop, that's cool. But our coffee shop is our local mission. We underwrite it with our monthly missions. We make sure that it's staffed. Dan does a pretty good job. He's the one that has to have the conversation with people why they can't have their laptops out during COVID. It's really interesting. I sit there and listen. Just people arguing over laptops. But what I love is that Dan never gets angry. He just shows a hospitable heart to them. He explains it well. He loves on them. People come back even if there's a difference. Sometimes they don't. That's fine. But you're like, oh, I can't. I don't have a home. I live with my parents. Or I'm in the basement suite and there's not enough space. Or I've got all these things that I can't do that. I can't let someone in. Hey, you can, you can bring someone to the coffee shop. How easy is that? Your church that you call home has a coffee shop. That means you have a coffee shop. My coffee shop is your coffee shop. How cool is that? That's the whole part of my house is your house. That's the whole part of the, uh, the heart for the house. If you call Avant Life Church home, that's not Pastor Ben's coffee shop. That's all our coffee shop. We all lay claim to Barrio. We can all use it to bring people and, and, and speak to them and be hospitable to them and shout them a coffee and love on them and talk and speak the Word of God into their life. My house is your house. That's why we should invite each other to dinner. This is why we should. He says, Paul writes this, Peter writes this. They talk about it both, that we are to love one another, show hospitality to one another. If you need a practice right now, practice on someone that calls Avant Life Church home that you don't know. Keep the stranger part. Hey, but keep it in your comfort zone. Find someone in church you don't know Take them out for lunch. And if you're single, you're welcome. (laughs) Would you stand with me? Luke writes this in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witness. Next week, we're going to talk about the fact that I do believe that every Christian has been called to live an open roof life. I do believe that a great measure of how effective you are in your hospitality is is people climbing, are they climbing, tearing a hole in the roof of your life just to get in? Are they cramming it because you've got something they want? If that's not happening, my hope, and next week we're going to pray 
and believe that God's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit and it's going to empower you to bear witness in what you call home. Burnaby, Langley, Tawasan even. Wherever you call home, that he would start there, your Jerusalem, and then he'd begin to spread your influence out and that people would bring their friends into your life. I know there's people in this room right now that you're actually very gifted in this. You're phenomenal in this. I see you week in, week out, bringing someone to the coffee shop. And then I know that this person has been brought to you because a friend has told them, hey, I've got a friend that loves Jesus. You should talk to them. Can I encourage you? Keep doing that. You're a great example. At home, those that have that gift, those that have been disciplined in that, can I encourage you? Keep doing that. You're a blessing to this world and a great example to this church. But the more of us that learn my house is your house, Christian hospitality, watch as those misconceptions, watch as the narrative in your head gets rewritten to realize that people aren't as hostile to God as you think they are. Mahatma Gandhi makes a comment about Christianity. I don't think it's completely accurate, but it gives you an insight into how the world often sees Christians. And he says, I think Christians, or I think Christ was an amazing man. And I could even believe he's the son of God if I could see him in one of his believers. Now, that's why I say I don't think it's fully true. But I can get the heart behind it if I could see him in one of his followers. See, we walk, a, we walk sometimes a tough line as Christians. And that's why we need grace. But grace is so that we can be sanctified, transformed, so the Holy Spirit can do what he does best and testify the redemptive work of Christ in our life. This evening, we're going to go back into worship. And for those of you who call Avant Life Church home, We don't take our tithes up during the service, but when it comes to our legacy offerings and when it comes to our heart for the house offerings, we take an opportunity to give together. This is us coming together and going, you know what? We're sowing into this house. That God's house is our house and our house is their house. That's why we say heart for the house. This allows us to mend nets, create space for faith and believe And I do believe that God is stirring in us a spirit of Christian hospitality. Think outside yourself. Each and every one of us has the capacity. And I know Pastor Emma and I, we have dedicated an amount that we're going to give. But as we go back into this moment of worship, down the back you would see that we have our giving stations. And each and every one of us in our own time as the team leads us through worship, Can I encourage you, whatever you have spoken to God about as a family member of this house, in your time, would you go give? Would you have that moment with him? And we'll pray at the end, but while you do it, pray that simple, pray that very simple prayer. Lord, may my house be your house. Let me leave you with this beautiful scripture verse. This just reminds me of growing up in a Christian household. It was usually carved into wood over the first 
archway or banister that you walk into the house, but it's Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Church, let's worship. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.